live from a grave. Matthew chapter 27 this morning, the last of the Paradox series. Strange things happened around the life of Jesus, especially that last week. We saw that he was betrayed by one of his own. We saw that an innocent man was condemned. And this morning we see there was life in a graveyard. It's good news that we get to move on beyond the beating and the whipping and we get to move down to the good part, the best part. And I'd ask you in Matthew 27 if you would join me in verse 57. This picks up where we had left off last week. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. And this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded that the body be given to him. And when Jesus had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite or facing the tomb. On the next day which followed, the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember... While he was still alive, how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, so that the last deception would be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. Let me stop there in verse eight. Uh, A lot of, again, strange things are happening, things that we wouldn't imagine, things that we wouldn't probably have anticipated um, do you remember we, I was speaking in regards to the beginning of this series and I told you that it was odd. We look back on it and we see it so clearly, you know, having this all of these scriptures and all these teachers and through centuries, you know, being able the retelling of the story. We see it so clearly now and we look back and we think, well, why didn't they get it? Why didn't they see it? It's so easy for us. But, you know, when you look in their moment, in their time, it was a peculiar thing that that he would be betrayed by a friend. And, and it was so peculiar that that an innocent man would be condemned by a mob who did nothing but love him, and, and he would be deemed innocent, and yet he would still die. 
And here we see that this dead man rose back from the dead. And it is, it is really the central, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central most part of our faith. And, in, and, and that, that paradox, those unusual situations don't end with the crucifixion. Because I want you to look at this very first thing, and I, I try to stress it in verse 62, that after Joseph, this secret disciple, this once uh, one of the religious leaders who had heard the words of Jesus and believed them, he then comes out as, a, as, as not so much a secret disciple anymore, but he comes and he requests the body of Jesus. Let me remind you, the disciples didn't do that. Jesus' own disciples did not come and take the body of Jesus. Now, I will also remind you of this. John the Baptist's disciples did take his body after he was beheaded. But Jesus' disciples had nothing to do with the body. They were running and hiding afraid of the Jews and afraid that what happened to Jesus may also happen to them. But here comes this secret disciple out of nowhere, takes the body, requests the body, and places it in a tomb of his own that he had hewn out. And I think that that word hewn is incredibly important. Because what he had done was he dug out a hole in a rock. There was not another place for that body to have gone except with the stone rolled away. It wasn't as though there could have been a way he could have dug out because it was inside a rock. Notice verse 62. The Pharisees gathered together to Pilate saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive, the deceiver said, After three days I will rise. What a peculiar, what an interesting verse. The religious leaders, those who oversaw and planned out his betrayal, his death, his everything. Those who had it in for Jesus, those who were truly unbelievers, remembered his words. Isn't that peculiar? Sir, we remember while he was still alive that the deceiver said... In three days I will rise again. What is so odd about that in in itself is not peculiar, but when you remember that the disciples didn't. Those who had been with Jesus for three to four years ministering, ministering with Him and listening to the kingdom of heaven, those who had heard at least four times in the Gospel of Matthew alone, it is recorded that Jesus had said He would rise again. The believers didn't remember, but the unbelievers did. Now, there could have been several ways in which they uh, had come across this message. Uh, they, we know that they didn't follow them as closely, follow him as closely as the disciples did. But there's one thing they could have done. They could have heard it from the disciples. They could have divulged that information to them. Judas himself could have said, uh, yeah, he said he was going to raise in three days. The guy's crazy. He could, they, could have, they were there, obviously, when Jesus said, for as the days were, um, with Jonah being in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. Jesus didn't hide the fact that he was going to rise the third day. The peculiar thing is that the unbelievers heard it and remembered it. You see, God's ways, we don't understand them. We, we struggle trying to understand God's ways. Even though as a believer, I don't always understand how God is going to work. I know that He is. And you know, if you look at the whole story, these unbelievers, in remembering the words that He said, 
They didn't really believe that he was going to raise from the dead, I don't think. They thought their concern was the disciples were going to come in and get him out. But they still remembered his words. So what did they do? They turned to Pilate and they said, we don't want anybody, his disciples, coming in and stealing this body out. So we are going to secure, we want you to put forces out there, guards, armed guards, who are going to keep watch over the stone, over the tomb, so that the stone doesn't roll away, so that nobody comes in and gets the body. And what is awesome about this is even in their attempt to secure to ensure that that body remained in the tomb, they actually gave more proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, when that stone was rolled over and sealed over the door, and those centurions were there guarding, we know the disciples wouldn't have come because they were afraid. The only people that we have coming to the tomb at that time are a few women who come to anoint the body. But yet, God still worked out His purpose. He brought to nothing the plans of the unrighteous. He knew what they were going to do. He saw how futile their attempts were, and it actually played into the hands of God that those men making sure that that tomb is secure actually give us more evidence of the reality of the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the only way that could have happened was for it to happen from the inside. He couldn't dig out. He couldn't crawl out. The stone had to be rolled away. And praise God, it was. The unbelievers remembered his words notice the second peculiar thing the women found life while looking for the dead the women found life while looking for the dead these women are definitely to be commended in their loyalty their love for jesus is huge They're coming to the grave with spices, the gospel tell us, because they're going to anoint his body that has been in the grave now for days. They are demonstrating love and loyalty as best they possibly can. They don't believe that he is going to be alive. They don't believe that the stone is going to be rolled away. In fact, they have a discussion. How is the stone going to be rolled away? How are we going to get in there to Jesus? And I love how the end of our text Verse 4, the guards shook for fear of him because, and they became like dead men. Verse 5 of 28, but the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you, notice verse 8, so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. Fear and great joy are the words that are used to describe the ladies that are going away from the tomb, which is a much starker contrast to their attitudes as they were going to the tomb. No doubt they were saddened, disheartened, disappointed, grieving over the one that they had followed and believed, and now they're going not to to worship Him in a sense, His resurrected body, but they're going to lament and mourn and grieve and do their best to continue to prepare a dead body. You know, it's as a pastor, um, I've officiated quite a few funerals. And 
I'll tell you. And if you talk to some of the other pastors in the congregation this morning, I'm sure they will agree with this. That there is a tremendous difference, a tremendous difference when you visit the home or visit with the family of someone who lost a loved one who was a believer compared to an unbeliever. When you walk into the home or you visit with the family of those who know that their loved one is now in the embrace of Jesus, there's a tremendously different atmosphere. Oh, don't get me wrong, they're still sad. There's, there's still a mourning because they miss that person in their life. They know that that person is not going to be there. But as you talk with them, as you minister with them, as you pray with them, as you invest in their lives as much as you can, you realize that there is on the outside maybe this mourning and grieving, but then you begin to see this undercurrent begin to swell of faith and hope and joy in their life because they know that that person is not dead. Because they know that our God is a God of the living, not a God of the dead. There is a much different attitude, a much different presence in homes where the family either doesn't know God, they've separated themselves from that peace, or they don't know of that person's salvation. Let me just say this. If you've never told someone else of the day you got saved, if you've never shared that with your family, you have an opportunity to minister to them beyond, beyond the grave, if you will. You have an opportunity to give your family something that they desperately need in order to endure that grieving process. If you're saved and you know it, maybe you've been like Joseph Arimathea and you know that you're a secret disciple, you know there's a moment in your life when you trusted Christ, share that with your family. Tell them the moment you got saved so that that day when you pass, that when they walk to your grave, they may be able to leave that tomb they may be able to walk back the other way with fear and great joy, an undercurrent swelling in their heart because they know that you are with Jesus. Do that for them. The third point, third and final one, is that the followers, I've alluded to this already, the followers didn't believe. Look with me, please, in chapter 28, verse 9 of Matthew. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, they met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren, excuse me, go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. I would love to tell you that the message, when the ladies went back, I would love to tell you that the house that they were all holed up in, that they all said, praise God, we knew it. Does anybody's Bible anywhere in the gospel say that? Does anybody's Bible say that Peter, when he hears that he's alive, did, he, did any of your Bibles say that Peter turned to James and said, I told you? No. If they do, take that Bible back. Something is wrong with it. It didn't happen like that. In fact, in Luke chapter 24, verse 11, when the women come back and say, we went to the grave, it was empty, an angel told us that he has risen from the grave and to come and tell you to go before him into Galilee and meet him there. Actually, Luke 24, 11 says that when the disciples heard it, they thought they were idle tales. They did not believe the message when the women came back. Now think about this for a moment with me. These men, these 11 disciples at this time have not just known the Scriptures, 
have not just heard Jesus multiple times in very intimate settings tell them, I will be crucified, but after three days, I will rise again. Not only now do they have the testimony of other people, but they still refuse to believe. You may remember there was one named Thomas. That when Jesus appeared in the home, right in the middle of them, and he told those disciples to behold his hands and feet and see that it is I. You may remember he ate bread and fish with them. They realized he was a real body. Do you remember there was one that wasn't there at the time? And his name was Thomas. Thomas came back and heard the stories that they were telling me. And he said, unless I put my hands, my fingers in his hands and his wounds, I will not believe. And Jesus appeared and allowed him to believe. Isn't it funny that Thomas had all the things that the 11 did, including a second-hand testimony twice, and yet he still refused to believe until Jesus appeared. Let me, let me just say this. I look back on this and say, I got it, God. I understand. They didn't get it. And I'm sometimes quick to say, how did they not get it? Why were they so slow and dull of understanding? But if the truth of it comes down, if the truth really comes out in my life, and maybe in yours as well, I struggle sometimes with promises. See, they're promises that I know. They're promises that I've read. There are promises that I have had other people say, you know what, I've held on to that promise and God kept His word. And even from my own personal experience in the past, I've seen God be faithful. But aren't there those moments sometimes where we struggle wrapping our minds around and holding on to the promises of God? Aren't there sometimes where it seems like our situation is so bad, so crazy, so messed up that there's no way God can do it? Because that's where the disciples were. Their leader's dead. They watched him be crucified. They watched him die. They knew he was put in a tomb. They understood. Game over. It's done. Situation's too bad. It's gone too far. There's no way God can do it. Oh, remember that wonderful scripture with the rich young ruler. The man that wanted to follow Jesus but would not give up his goods to follow Christ. You remember when that young ruler walked away? Peter turned to Jesus and said, who then can be saved? Jesus replied with these words that I promise you as a believer are fitting in any and all circumstances. Jesus said with men, things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You know, sometimes I think as believers... As children of God, born again. I think sometimes we may, I may, resemble the disciples holed up in a home for fear. Not clinging to the promises, not, out, not going out and claiming the victory, not going out and being a visible light for Christ, but hiding away in a home. I hope that I am much more, I hope that I become much more like those women running out, being not afraid to approach centurions at the tomb to be with Jesus, for they were greatly blessed. 
Why is this so important? Why is it so important that we're able to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? See, it's not just a story. It's not just something that's supposed to make us feel good. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and how we respond to that that resurrection truth is so incredibly crucial for our faith. In fact, the Apostle Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says that if Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain, and you are still in your sins. What he's saying is that if Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, if God did not, if that truth is not true at all, if that body was dead, if that body remained in the grave, then our preaching would be empty. There would be nothing to proclaim. There would be no new, no good news. There would be no need to rejoice. There would be no hope of salvation. That's why the resurrection is so important. That's why it is so core to who we are. Because when he rose from the grave, it wasn't just to give us a megaphone. It was to give us a foundation for our faith that just as Jesus rose, we also will rise. When he came out of the tomb victorious, what we know is that his sacrifice for our sins was accepted by the Father. That our penalty was accepted in full by the Father. And we can know now as believers that one day when our last chapter is written and this heart ceases to pump blood, as a believer we can know that we are not going into a soul sleep. We can know that we are not going into some darkness. We can know that we are not going to hell. As a believer, whenever that moment comes, we know that we are going to be with the one who loved us, died for us, and raised again for us because he secured our victory in his own resurrection. And we can approach death without fear. We can live life with boldness. Allow me for just one quick moment to show you the differences and how these three different people, how the resurrection affected them. Obviously, we see the women when they leave the tomb going saddened, leaving joyful. What a change the message of the resurrection brings. I don't know what you have brought in here. I don't know what is heavy on your heart. I don't know what you're carrying, but I do know this. The message of the resurrection can provide for you a peace that passes all understanding. You can come in here and say today, God, I can cast my burdens on you because you care for me. God, there's nothing going on in my life that you cannot conquer and provide a victory for. Today, I hope that if you came in here with a saddened, grieving, sorrowful, concerned heart, that you may say, God, today I trust you. If you're an unbeliever, you come in here this morning, you may say, God, I I, I didn't believe that you really raised from the dead, but today I understand it. Today I believe that your son Jesus is alive forevermore. Today I put my faith and trust in him, realizing that that sacrifice has been taken care of and it has been received by the Father. And today I receive you as my Savior and Lord. And you can walk out of here today rejoicing over over the promise of new life. The second group were the fearful, the disciples, scared, hiding out. After they encounter Jesus, 
after they are filled with the Holy Spirit, do you know what they're doing? They're going out and charging hell with a water pistol. That's what these guys are doing. They are on fire. They are going out. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, you may jot that down, Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, Peter is preaching because a healed man, a lame man has been healed. He is brought before the religious leaders of Sanhedrin, probably, most possibly, the very same council that oversaw the death of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 4, the Sanhedrin, this group of people, are telling them, we're going to command that you do not speak the name of Jesus. They couldn't deny that a miracle had been done, but what they tried to do was intimidate the disciples. And Peter says in Acts 4, we cannot help but speak of the things that we have both seen and heard. Peter, at that moment, he who turned, he who denied Christ in front of a little servant girl, He who was holed up in a house fearful that the same thing that happened to Jesus would happen to them after he understood the resurrection. Better yet, after the resurrection grabbed a hold of him. He went out and it did not matter who he was in front of. Even the same group that played a part in the conviction of Jesus Christ. We cannot help but speak of the things that we have seen and heard. The fear of death was no longer in the mind of Peter. And I do want to show you the last group. What about the unbelieving? What about them? If you look in verse 11 of chapter 28, it tells us something amazing. And while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that happened, okay? So they are hearing now from those guards what happened. Unbelievers who remembered his words, they're hearing the guards say, hey, an earthquake came, a stone rolled away, and we saw an angel that told us he is not here, he's risen. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. Saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. The unbelievers had more knowledge and understanding of this situation probably than anybody else. You see, they knew the Scriptures better than most other people of that day. They were students and scholars of the Word. They had not just a familiarity with the Word and a knowledge and an understanding of the Word, but they had also heard Jesus and remembered the words that He would do it. Now they have a testimony of the people who were in charge of guarding the tomb. But rather than believe. Rather than believe. They did their best to cover up the truth of the resurrection. I would have to tell you, their condemnation must be great. The hell that they are experiencing must be a hot one. Not in the sense that God turns it up. Not in the sense that there is one 
hell that is hotter than another, but it must be a horrible eternity that they are in because they were closer than anybody to the truth. They had more light revealed to them than many other people in the Scriptures. They had more to make a decision of faith off of than anybody else. And yet, in all this information, in all of this light, they turned their backs, they rejected, they choose to disbelieve, and out of envious and jealous and greedy reasons, they cover up the truth to their own destruction. Unbelievers remembered but didn't believe. Women were grieving and leave, rejoicing. The disciples were holed up in fear. But they leave emboldened. This morning, right now, which of those three best describes you? The women that are carrying the burden Are you feeling defeated in your life? Maybe this morning the message of the resurrection gives you hope of new life. Today, are you a believer that is struggling in faith? Are you holed up in the house, not being a light, a witness, a testimony for Jesus? Are Are you bold by the fact that Jesus has conquered the grave? There is no sin and death have no reign over us. Anymore, or are you like the religious leaders? Today you've read in the word. You've heard the testimony. I hope that you've seen the new life in others. You've seen the testimony of the women as they ran, and hopefully you've seen the testimony of others. Today, will you will you give it up? Will you say today, God, I recognize that I'm a sinner. And that sin has separated me from you. God, I believe there was a historical Jesus. And I believe he did exactly what he said. John MacArthur said that if Jesus, Jesus is either Lord, a liar, or a lunatic, what is he to you? The Bible says he's Lord. Today, I want to ask you if you would, just close your eyes for a moment as we close our service out. I want to ask you a real simple question today. Are you like those women? They came burdened and grieving. Today you say, Pastor, I need some relief. I need, I need, I need some promises. I need to talk to somebody about these weight, the weight that is on my shoulders right now. If that's you, would you be willing to raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Yes. Are there any others? I see. Yes, I see you. Yes, thank you. Yes. Father, I thank you this morning for that reminder that death has given way to life. I pray for those that signified by their hand and Lord, others that may just not have raised their hand this morning. I pray for those that are burdened. Sometimes life can feel like it's giving us a crushing blow. But you said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You told us to take your yoke upon you and learn of you, for you are meek and lowly. And Lord, I thank you that today, for those that are struggling, that need a a fresh word, 
a promise to grab onto, a foundation, you're there. And I pray, Lord, for those that raise their hand, if they have never come to the most foundational truth in the world that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, I pray today that they may say in their heart, God, from their heart to yours, God, I'm lost and I need a Savior. And today I trust your son Jesus as my personal Savior and Lord for the forgiveness of my sins. Thank you, God, for this awesome gift. In Jesus' name, I want to ask you this morning, are you like the unbelievers who remembered? Are you going to respond to that truth today in your heart? What are those things that Jesus hasn't proven to you? What are those ways in which he hasn't shown himself true and faithful? I've only been alive for 36 years, but I can never look back on a moment where Jesus was not true and faithful.